We're going to continue today in Isaiah. You know, I was looking at this and realizing, you know, by the end of July, we'll be just over halfway through. And we'll see if we make Al's prediction. Al predicted we would be done, some, if I got this right, somewhere around Easter of 2022. So we will see. Um, if we were betting, I'd just mess with him when I'm preaching. I'm just going to do two verses, Al. So we go after Easter and I win the bet, but no. So we're going to be looking at chapter 20. Um, we started this section that we're going through in Isaiah in 28, and it's called the Lord of History. And this section is completed. Uh, we'll be sometime in August, no doubt, that we're going to, at the end of 37, we will complete this section in Isaiah. And chapter 37 is an awesome, awesome chapter of God's deliverance for his people. Um, the story in 37, you can also see it in 2 Kings 19 and then 2 Chronicles 32. And although we weren't here, the passage last week was pretty awesome. I loved the intense word pictures that we see Isaiah put out um, on the punishment of Assyria that they'll receive at the hand of God and then ultimately the world will. The good thing is, as we keep being reminded by Isaiah through this, he is, God is saving a remnant for himself. But this morning, we are going to continue to see what God, to see that God is the divine power in all the world and that he does actually rule world history. And what can we take away from that? We can be sure that all of his promises that aren't yet fulfilled will be because he is faithful and his promises are sure. Uh, we will see God warning his people again not to trust in man, but seek him and they will be delivered. And we will also see that Judah willingly ignores God for the belief that the seen help in Egypt is strong and will protect them. They missed it and will miss it again and again and again. And they're missing the point that God has divine sovereignty over history. Now the fourth woe in this section ended last week at 3033. It started at 30 verse 1. Some of your Bibles may say ah, but that means woe. When he calls his people the stubborn children because they made an alliance, but it wasn't with him or the Spirit. So now we're going to look at the fifth woe. And I may not shock anyone with the statement that nothing surprises God. Nothing in this world causes God to wonder how he should react. He fully knows everything beforehand because he set it all in place and he's the master overall. And the picture we're going to see here is that the mere movement of his hand would be enough to dispose of Judah, their supposed helper, Egypt, and the enemy, the dreaded Assyria. In chapter 29, verses 1 through 8, Al went over how God never leaves the last word to the enemy. 
even if we as men believe, hey, you know what? God is taking too long. I have needs here. He needs to come in and smite my enemy. And of course, we would do things differently. And as we march to the scene in 37 of Assyria, surrounding Jerusalem, we will see that before we end 37, that Judah was feeling, you know, God's taking too long. He came at the 11th hour to save us, but in all actuality, God came at the time he determined. We also saw in chapter 29, verse 15, that God needs to do a transforming work in his people. He will do this, and, and this topic is seen next week in chapter 32. So we're going to cover two sections today in these nine verses. The first one, chapters 1 through 5, is disaster and deliverance. Verses 1 through 5, disaster and deliverance. And then 6 through 9 is a call to return to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you so much that we're able to come before you this morning as a group and just look at this word that talks about you, that talks about you from the beginning to the end and, and brings us just in awe and wonder as we read this and read the things said in it and see how, how God moved and kept bringing up you in this word. We thank you so much for the music team that came and performed for us and led, led us in worship of singing praise to you. Jesus, just quiet our hearts, open our minds, help us to be fully into this section now and just put everything else out of our mind, clear our hearts, and just help us to look and hear what you have for us today. In your precious name we pray, amen. So let's go over these nine verses. Isaiah chapter 31 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble and he who is helped will fall and they will all perish together. For thus the Lord says to me, as a lion or a young lion, growls over his prey and when the band of shepherds is called out against him he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted by their noise so the lord of hosts will come down to fight on mount zion and on its hill like a bird hovering so the lord of hosts will protect jerusalem he will protect and deliver it he will spare and rescue it turn to him whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day, everyone shall cast away his idols of silver 
and his idols of gold, which your hands have simply made for you. And the Assyrian will fall by a sword, not of man, and a sword, not of man, shall deliver, shall devour him, and he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. His rocks shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. So let's look at verses 1 through 5. Disaster and deliverance. If we look at verse 1, Isaiah is making this clear. Woe to you, Judah, for seeking help and relying on anyone else but your God. God is expressing to his people that their characteristic is to forget him and to rely on what they visually see as strength. And it's the same thing the world sees as strength. What do they see as strength? Well, in this era they saw horses, chariots, and horsemen. These three are the images of world security. Strength, number, and powers, right? Uh, to man, these things are the key to success. What Judah forgot was a simple scene that happened years ago. They forgot the scene of a mighty army who sent out a warrior fully armed, with the latest technology and armor, and he was facing a shepherd boy, and they forgot the outcome. They forgot God is in control. So God is using Isaiah here to remind his people they are not remembering the history of God and his people. They are not understanding his strength and power. They are to look only to him and only seek him for consultation. God has this history with his people, and it's amazing. If you think about it from Adam to Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, and then David, and the prophets all through history, and now with Isaiah, think about everything that happened there. It's forgotten. And God told us we only have to look to him. He does not mean look to God when you need something, like a genie that you're going to come rub the bottle and get something. He's saying, no, look at me, see the true God, and see his Holy One. Isaiah 17.7, Isaiah 17.7 tells us, in that day man will look to his maker and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. We will forget this world and enjoy God. We will know His presence. We will understand that He is near and available and will understand that God is sovereign. Let me repeat that. We will understand that God is sovereign over all. Verse 2 is telling us that these things described never change. Isaiah is telling him that God is wise, and he's being ironic in this because what happened? These politicians that came back felt they were the wise ones. You know, by establishing this alliance with Egypt, but the always wise God is bringing disaster to this arrangement, and these wise men will be proven foolish. 
When they heard the Assyrians were coming, they must have believed they were, they were protected by Egypt's power based on their own cunning in sitting at this alliance. And they would naturally be fearful because when the Assyrians were coming, they didn't just hop on a plane or a train to make their way down. They weren't snapping pictures of their meals and, and posting at stops on social media, no. When they were coming down, the people in Judah were hearing the stories of what was going on. These people came down with a vengeance. They were taking out wallless cities, flattening them. They were destroying walled cities, and they were conquering empires on the way down. So they felt fear, and they forgot what God had done for them in the past. They became a people that looked to the strength of man. They were not listening to God's message through Isaiah. And in Amos 3.7, Amos 3.7, God says, He does nothing without revealing it to his servants, the prophets. And then Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 4. And then later this week I saw it in Deuteronomy again in the, in the 20s. The same idea. We are reminded here in Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 4, that God provided for his people for the time that they were into the wilderness, even to the point that their clothing did not wear out or, or get this, their ankles did not swell, as you ladies that have had children can attest to. This didn't happen for the time they were in the wilderness. It did not. Isaiah reminded them that God, you know, he doesn't ask for a do-over. He never says whoops. Um, so you guys all get a good golf analogy. God doesn't take another earth out of his pocket and drop it on the ground and hit it again, like, like I do. He, he doesn't ask for a do-over. He never looks up and says, you know what? I did not see that coming. And in verse 2 shows us, he does not call back his words. He is a long-standing foe of evil, and that will never change. He will arise against evildoers, and he will protect his people. Um, I'm going to give you a sneak peek on 37 that we're ending this section. Egypt never arrives. The one they, um, the people in Jerusalem banked everything on, they never rise. You know why? Because God doesn't share the spotlight with anyone. He doesn't stand on stage holding someone's hand and point to them to be clapped for. No, it's all him. And in verse 3, God points out the obvious that we forget when we fail to understand the spiritual word, spiritual world. God reminds them that the Egyptians are not God. They are just man. And the word used here is El for God. Isaiah brings out the most powerful word that you can use for God, El, like El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. God in exalted majesty. God is all power and glory. So the contrast here is between flesh and the spirit. And what it means is the flesh, flesh needs life and provides no power, possesses no power to provide it. 
and the Spirit is the power of life itself. So we see in John 4.24, John 4.24 says, God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and truth. We are talking here about an absolute fact that we often forget. An absolute fact that we often forget. We need to seek God and His hand in all matters. All matters. God is the only reason for our existence and worship. Um, we tend to look to the left and the right and forget about God and chase after anything in this world that is shiny. We only get what we're supposed to do when we calm ourselves and surrender to God and look at His face and we stay in His presence. Here in verse 3 is a picture of God's punishment. It's when and not if, when, he stretches out his hand, he will take out Egypt and Judah. And the picture we need to understand is that even if the entire multitude of the Cushite and Egyptian army had shown up, God only needed to barely move his hand to take everyone out. And perish together here means come to an end and be finished. Judah, above everyone else, has the love and care of God. But the perishable people of Judah are looking to the perishable power of Egypt and miss what is available to them. The power of the Creator who has a long history of incredible care for His people. And how, how often do we forget this? Last week we saw in verse 18 of chapter 30, verse 18 of chapter 30 said what? It was so great because almost everyone in our community group last week brought this one up. It says, blessed are those who wait on God. Prayer, trust, and the evidence of trust is waiting for an answer. We do not want to wait out though. And, and oftentimes we move out and say, if God doesn't answer my prayer, He won't allow what I'm doing to really take place. And then later we see how wrong that is. The big things in your life, the big things, you need answers from God. And God is saying to us today, as He said 3,000 years ago, here, um, I want to help. I am your help, your only help. Humble yourself, pray, and wait, wait for my timing. He wants to be merciful, he wants to be gracious, but we need to be disciplined to obey. Verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 starts off with the word for, meaning because of everything listed, everything listed in verses 1 for 3, this is what I'm going to do. He was saying, you can rely on the perishable, but here is what I am. God is that unafraid lion and that protective bird. As the lion, he sees a Judah his prey and is protecting it. The shepherds can just yell at him. They have no desire to approach and face that lion. 
and attempt battle. He is in full control and he is not running from what he is. And you need to catch the wordplay here, Isaiah used. The picture here is of shepherds attempting to scare God with words and making noise as God stands over Judah is priceless. Because the picture of these shepherds is Egypt. Um, and Isaiah is calling this un, unhelpful army shepherds. What's so funny about this, if you remember your, your later, your earlier Old Testament, I should say, um, Egypt felt shepherds were the unclean people. If you think about Joseph bringing his family in, they didn't even stay in Egypt. They stayed in another land because Egyptians couldn't be around shepherds. So how ironic that Isaiah is calling them shepherds here. Egypt is the hired hand as shepherds here. And in John 10:12, John 10:12, it tells us, he who is a hired hand and not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And God is the lion is not terrified of them. How do we know? The simple answer is he is God and they are just humans. But let's look again at Isaiah 29, 5 through 6. Isaiah 29, 5 and 6 where it says how God will deal with Judah's enemies. It says, But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitudes of the ruthless like passing chaff. In an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and a great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring flower devouring fire and I don't know of anyone who's ever been afraid of blowing chaff so God is definitely unafraid here God said he's coming down to fight and then we have another interesting word play Isaiah employs here um, the words hosts as it says so the Lord of hosts will come down to fight hosts and fight sound the same in Hebrew. And God is coming to his city to protect it and will protect it like a circling bird in full protect mode. How does God protect Jerusalem? Verse 5 says he will protect it, deliver it, he will spare it, and rescue it. And these four verbs used here are intentional. They're intentional. Um, they show protection that surrounds and offer protection on every side. Because the number four gives us that picture in Hebrew of, of every side of a situation. So against the unwisdom of Judah, the ineffectiveness of Egypt, and the serious threat of Assyria, the hovering God will prove his sovereign strength and will protect his people. Six through nine is a call to return to God. In short, in Isaiah 
29, 9 through 14, tells the people that if you will not listen to God's prophet, you will hear and feel God's judgment. He will not, he will, I'm sorry, he will deal with their spiritual problem. We now will look at the king that will come and reign in righteousness. And, and this look will take us into chapter 32 next week also. And it says, we as a people need to return. Isaiah was warned of these people, of his fellow people, when he got his call as a prophet. So he knew what he would be dealing with, and he was faithful anyway. He was told in Isaiah 6, 9, and God said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. God is saying in verse 6, and we will see the same message in 32, 9 through 11, that you're not paying attention. So Isaiah is telling the people to wake up and repent. To see the spiritual side of life because it's the only side that really matters. And this sounds so much like the New Testament, like, like John the Baptist, right? Who told the people to repent and be baptized because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So verse 6 is telling God's people that they have not just offended God, but they have forgotten the purpose of their being as God's people, and this deeply offended God. This sin is proving that we are blind to God, and we are stubborn by seeing only what pleases us. We avoid God, and He is not even a thought. And then verse 7 continues the ultimate theme here in Isaiah, that we are to be ready and prepared for the day of the Lord. That awesome day when it all ends. So here we go, in that day. And I believe God has this phrase you know, throughout Isaiah to keep our focus on what really matters. Our faith needs to be cultivated, grown, and strengthened in preparation of that day when we stand before the Lord. Sure, we need faith to go through each day, but we always need to take this advice and grow in our spiritual walk to be prepared ultimately for that day. In verse 7 here, the picture is of a people that is not prepared. They are hiding their idols and tossing them from behind their back like a thief who is caught with goods or that child whose parent walks into the room and catches them with something they shouldn't have and they quickly try to toss it off their bed, hopefully into their, their sibling's bed, get them in trouble. Um, and we see this in 30 verse 12. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression, perverseness, and rely on them. Them meaning anyone but God. We need to ensure that we are not this people. Because the ultimate goal, Al and I are working to hear God say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Not 
have you stand before God and Al and I hear, oh, it's you, that it would not be good. In verse 8, we leave in that day and move back to what was occurring then. And Isaiah has the same message here, get right with God. Isaiah points out beautifully that God will handle the Assyrians, not man. He says the Assyrians will fall by the sword, not of man. And a sword, not of man, will devour them. And because of God, the survivors of that night in 37 will flee. What a scene that night must have been. When you had 185,000 soldiers of that army were destroyed and the survivors left everything and ran. And God said this would happen, right? He said it would happen like this. In 2 Kings 1932, 2 Kings 1932, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. And then ultimately at this point, the Assyrians had entered their final stages as rulers on the world stage. Over the next 20 years, they would start fading from view. Verse 9 says that their rock shall pass away in terror. Their rock being their king, and this is in contrast to the rock of Jerusalem, who moved his arm a little and took out 185,000 soldiers. This states that Assyria ran in terror from Jerusalem, no doubt escaping everything, abandoning everything to escape death. And then our God, whose fire is in Zion, maintains holiness in his city. And when the Assyrians attacked, they were brought into the scope of that same holy fire and were burned. Here Isaiah provides for us, for centuries provides us, with a great wake-up call. We serve a God who is mighty and is spirit. And even the king of J Jerusalem at this time, Hezekiah, told his people in 2 Chronicles 32, 7 and 8, 32, 7 and 8 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with them. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So we are to trust and obey, and our goal should be to get on a level where we can be like Elisha, who saw God's forces in the midst of a very dangerous situation and believed in God to control it. If we look at this situation in Kings, 2 Kings 6, 8-17, through 17, it says, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such place shall be my camp. 
But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called to his servants and said, Will you not show me who, is, of, who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, O my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. But it was told him, Behold, he is in Dotham. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surround the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those with them. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now we talk about this a lot, of growing in knowledge and love of God, and therefore growing in sanctification and we need to remember that we are to do this daily for this time that is coming that is called in that day. And I can tell you, after this last weekend, when we traveled up north, on the way up north, when we had a semi decide that despite the fact that we were in our lane, he wanted to join us in our lane and almost completely pushed us into the, the center dirt field. And then on the way home, being involved in a multi-car pileup, I can tell you that your time on earth could end in a heartbeat. So we need to keep, keep being ready. Keep be looking to that time, that glorious time, where you get to stand before God in that day. And don't be seen as tossing your idols away in front of God on that day. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you again so much for being in your word and just getting these reminders, Father, that, that although the, word is, the world is so much more tempting as it was back then, it, it was still tempting. Help us to really carve that time out daily where we are in front of you, getting our game plan for that day, being prepared for who we're going to meet, who we're going to come across who we're going to share you with and just be that light. We just love you so much for your word. We love you so much for Jesus and this awesome time that we can come together before you. Amen.